Welcome to Broadcast from the Blue Bench, a place of remembrance for all those lost to suicide or those who have lost loved ones to suicide. This is a series of podcasts about addressing suicide and breaking the stigma which surrounds it. It's about people who have lost loved ones and those who struggle with thoughts of taking their own life but have overcome their own personal battle. It also includes stories of those who have helped lead others who are struggling to a new path enabling them to pull back from the brink. It's about shared personal battles and triumphs. Most of all, we hope the podcast will bring hope. The Blue Bench is situated alongside the River Wandle in Merton, overlooking a newly planted daffodil walk. It was chosen in memory of Mark, who was a police officer who sadly took his own life in 2021. Blue is also a colour often associated with sadness and unhappiness. 30,000 daffodil bulbs, including a number of highly fragrant, beautiful Rose of May, have been planted, which will then bloom and provide a place of peace to all those who pass, a place of reflection to remember loved ones lost to suicide. The bench will also have a QR code linked to the podcast. It will also incorporate a weatherproof box containing informative leaflets, providing useful information on where to get the appropriate help. I'm talking this morning to Councillor Peter McCabe, Cabinet Member for Health and Adult Social Care at Merton Council. Welcome to the Blue Bench. The Blue Bench has now been installed in Merton. It's very much a community-led initiative, and it's basically to raise awareness of suicide in Merton and beyond, because suicide now is becoming a big, well, it has been a problem, but it's now being recognised as a problem that we need to talk about It's the biggest killer of young people in the UK, aged between 10 and 35. So more likely to age between 10 and 35, you're more likely to die of suicide than any other cause. And 7% of children at school, according to the Journal of Psychology, might have attempted suicide before the age of 17. So can we talk a little bit about your experience, the prevalence and the data you have for suicide in Merton? Uh, well, I think uh, one of the things when we um, were involved in the opening of the Blue Bench in Merton last week was um, when you think about suicide, uh, when I was doing the preparation, I began to think of my own personal experience of suicide uh, and the impact that that had. And um, I think just about everyone will have known somebody at some point uh, and therefore will be aware of the impact that it has uh, on the family, on the friends, uh, on the work colleagues of, of such a person. Uh, did, you actually, morning, did you want to talk about your own experience of it? Well, um, I, I did say at the, at the um, presentation that there was, uh, for many years we fostered and one of our um, foster children who was with us for three years uh, was a, um, a, a a lovely young guy. He was um, he had his issues and problems like uh, many children in care, um, but uh, he remained in contact with us. He was with us from the age of fifteen to eighteen, but thereafter he always kept in touch and he would he would turn up from time to time and. And it was really nice to see him and when we enjoyed a really good relationship with him. Um, and on one occasion, he turned up and he was 
in trouble. He got into trouble with the police and um, he uh, was um, facing some quite serious charges. And I and my wife went along to the magistrate's court and um, provided a character reference for him and, and said, please don't send, and I won't use his name, um, to prison because he's a very vulnerable young man. Prison would be a really dangerous place for him. Um, but sadly, um, the magistrates felt they had a choice but to send him to, uh, to his prison for the first time. And I think that was the start of a sort of slippery slope for him because he uh, seemed to, the fear of prison seemed to disappear for him. Uh, and um, he, he basically had a series of run-ins um, um, which led to him uh, being released and then uh, charged with other offences and returned to prison. And um, But he... Um, eventually took his own life. He had developed uh, an alcohol problem uh, and he did so on his birthday and it just left us absolutely devastated. And, um, you know, we, the whole family, I've got four children of my own and we were all broken hearted by what had happened because it just felt such a waste. Um, and um, so there's that experience. And then more recently, I was working with somebody in a work situation. They had had a really successful career. They had reached the very top of their profession. Uh, and this this man um, helped the charity that I worked for uh, with an initiative which was all about uh, helping people with a brain injury. Um, and he went the extra mile to try and help them. And he was renowned within his own uh, workplace for looking after people's mental health. Um, and I heard uh, that he was about to retire. And I got in touch with him to say, I want you to know what a huge difference you've made to the lives of so many people that you'll never know, you'll never meet. Uh, and yet the, the part you played in this initiative has made a, a huge difference. And so before you leave, I just wanted to, to let you know how grateful we are. And he said, well, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much. Um, and um, it was the day before he retired that I managed to catch him, which was, um, you know, just perfect timing. Uh, but sadly, um, a, a few weeks later, um, there was a story uh, in the newspaper that, um, he had taken his own life and he had done so um, literally within a fortnight of, of retiring, um, having had this incredible, successful career uh, where he'd helped so many other people and yet didn't seem able to um, open up. And the thought I was left with was, you know, if I detected any kind of sadness or depression on his part, um, and if he'd mentioned any any of the thoughts that were clearly racing around his head, then I would have, you know, pointed him in, in the direction where he could get help. I would have chatted to him and, you know, uh, reinforced the message, which is that he had he had been such a, an amazing uh, man and had helped so many people. 
Um, but I didn't know that he didn't open up. And I guess the, the lesson I learned from that was that there are people who, um, whilst they'll encourage others to seek help when they've got mental health problems, they feel they have to be, particularly men, um, that they have to be the, um, you know, the, the big tough guy who takes on the problems of the world and, and you know, perhaps saw um, asking for help as a sign of weakness. But, you know, nobody uh, in this day and age thinks that. But it, it brought to mind the importance of um, if people are feeling low, that they must re- really must reach out to others and talk about it. I think you you nailed it really because seventy percent of seventy five percent of suicides are by men because they think as you say they had to be tough guys. We're men. We do, we don't have mental health issues. You know we help and often with people that help other people. I think Adam Kay mentioned when he was there about when he was working as a doctor. Nobody protects the people protecting other people. Nobody actually realizes the toll it has on when you're in a situation where you're helping other people. It saps away at your own mental health. You probably go to bed at night with your mind whizzing about with all the things that you've done for other people. And slowly but surely, it eats into your own persona and your own mental health. And I think the Blue Bench Initiative is one that encourages people to sit down at that bench and talk. And I think the most important thing is what we all decided after we attended on Wednesday. Adam said it. We all said it. We need to talk about it. And we also need to talk about how to help people prepare if they feel like they have suicidal tendencies and they need to be able to, because there's always another path. I spoke to several people on the podcast series that we've done. And the other thing that came out that was consistent throughout is to be around to say to somebody, there is another way. Ending your life isn't the only way. And to steer them through it. So the problem is, I think now is now is is huge. Is actual the mental health problem because obviously, when you have mental health problems, you then might resort to suicide. And the pressure young children are on at school, you know, chasing the school curriculum, chasing sexual identity, wrestling with social media. We just they they have this barrage of input, and they're expected to deal with it. So. Again, a suicide prevention training is something that we need to, to hit upon. But how big do you think the mental health issue is from your experience? Has it got bigger in the last few years? Did COVID make it worse when people were locked up at home and they couldn't get out? What do you think? Well, I think um, then from, from my um, looking at the numbers, they, they do seem to go up and down there doesn't seem to be any particular pattern to it. Uh, what we do know is that there were um, 37 suicides in Merton during uh, 2019 to 21. And um, as you say, the, the group at risk, most at risk, uh, is uh, middle-aged men um, who may be less likely to discuss things. And, you know, and it's, it is a tragedy uh, for all concerned uh, and you know I think family members are left with oh if only we'd spotted the signs but sometimes um, people can keep those signs so well hidden um, that um, you know you're not aware that there's a, a problem or an issue so finding ways to get people to open up 
uh, is really important. And um, you know, when I when I was asked to kind of look at this, I I was kind of really conscious of the need to be able to point people in the direction of that help uh, and ask the question, you know, so what can people in Merton do to seek help? And I think there is uh, a lot of help out there. Uh, it's really important that we kind of um, make people aware of it. Um, but I mean, the first uh, port of call is uh, Southwest London and St George's Mental Health Trust, which provides crisis support, uh, including a 24-hour crisis line. And they offer emotional support and advice to people. Um, and um, they also run a couple of uh, uh, recovery cafes in Wimbledon Chase uh, and in Tooting. So uh, within Merton, you've got uh, Tooting, of course, is, is not in Merton, but it's very easily accessible through the Northern Line. Uh, and Wimbledon Chase is um, you know, at the southern end of the, um, the borough. So there's, there's those two facilities. And then there are so many other organisations uh, that are there to provide help. I mean, everyone, I think, has heard of the Samaritans, which offers a, a 24-hour um, phone and um, email. Um, and then there's an organisation called Shout that provides a 24-hour text line um, and uh, phone support is available from them. Uh, and then there's Calm, um, uh, which is the campaign against living miserably. Um, and at the, uh, at the launch of the, uh, the Blue Bench, we heard from Papyrus, uh, which is an absolutely excellent charity, um, uh, which is all about making uh, people aware um, and preventing um, suicide, uh, particularly amongst young people. And I think the founders of the charity said that, that they had suffered a personal loss themselves. They spoke from the heart. Um, so, you know, that's that's all of those resources are available. And I think the plan is with the Blue Bench that all of these, uh, there will be information about all of these services available at the blue bench so that people that sit down there and sit sit by the one door and they're having a think um are, are made aware of, of where they can go to get help um and then you mentioned um the importance of training um and that's something that merton council has taken really seriously and uh, we've developed um delivered uh, mental health first first aid awareness training to over 60 um, organisations working in the community. Um, and uh, we've also delivered the same training to hundreds of council staff because, you know, some of our council staff will come into contact with people who, for a variety of reasons, may be, you know, feeling low and depressed. And, you know, it could be um, somebody in um, children's services. It could be somebody in... Uh, adult social care, it could be somebody that's kind of uh, a, a social worker dealing with a particularly difficult issue. And so it's very, very important that all of those staff have that awareness and that training. And we've also developed um, suicide prevention training uh, for staff and partner organisations. Uh, and we've reached out to organisations such as the YMCA, 
um, and local housing associations, because again, they will come across people um, who are struggling uh, and some of the signs may be apparent to them in their interactions. And you know, having the training so that you can pick up the signs and you can ask the right questions and you can encourage people to open up is just so important. Um, so we are um, trying to address it in in a variety of ways and we're trying to sort of um, promote um, um, good health uh, and prevent loneliness. So, um, you know, we've, uh, one of the things that I've been on is the, um, the walks that the walk and talk movement do. And this is a, you know, a, a thing where a, a community get together in a park or um, on the common and just meet up with a group of other people from the surrounding areas and just go for a walk on a Saturday mornings, the, the, the one that I joined. And, um, you know, and you meet complete strangers and, you know, clearly some of the people there have got uh, very full lives, but there were also, uh, I, I talked to people who, now, I, I felt were probably um, a little lonely and in need of a bit of company and, you know, and really enjoyed getting out in the fresh air, chatting and having a reason to to talk with others without feeling embarrassed about it. Because everyone that's come along has come along to walk and talk. So it makes it really easy for them. Um, we've also um, in our libraries, uh, we've we've developed a variety of different activities uh, again which are really innovative um such as the tuned in project which is a um it's a thing that's centered around music uh, and it's primarily aimed at uh, middle-aged men who are uh, you know one of the groups most at risk but i think it's open to just about anyone and um you know the idea is that they come and they kind of listen to and discuss music and actually play music together and uh, but it's the it's the friendships it's the company it's the having someone to to talk to that is such an important um, aspect of, of that particular uh, activity and we also run um groups for um the elderly um you know and getting them active and getting them involved, but also getting them out of the house to meet people so they don't get isolated and depressed. And um, and some of those are, uh, I mean, I, I, I recently went to the Pollard's Hill Library over in the um, west, sorry, the east, the extreme east of the borough. Uh, and, um, you know, there were a group of, sort of elderly people doing kind of exercise. And it was remarkable how, you know, um they they were fit and, and kind of going through their paces but what i i was really pleased to observe afterwards was it didn't just the class didn't end and they all went their separate ways but they actually chatted they talked they'd clearly developed friendships and um support networks and all of those things that we hope will have a a positive impact on the mental health um of of our community and um, we hope that we'll give people signposting to where they can get additional help if they need to. 
Well, I think what you said is absolutely true. And the commonality of our conversation today is about talking. We must talk about it. We mustn't be afraid to say to somebody who we think is under distress from mental health issues, uh, to say, would you consider taking your own life? And what can we do to help you? What can I do to help you? And I'm hoping that the the brightness of that blue bench um, with the the plaque to mark will will draw people in. And if somebody's sitting on that blue bench, maybe leaning over and scanning in the QR code, it might lead somebody to go up to them and say, hey, how are you? And maybe talk to them. It's hopefully going to be a place to draw people in. Because some people, there are all these available available resources, but some people are just not finding them because they're still taking their own lives. So the more we talk, the more we address the issues, the more we can, as you say, talk, have comfort people in, well, I say walking, talking. Walking is a wonderful way to help your mental health. Music's another wonderful way. Um, there's nothing more than a, a lovely piece of music, whether you like pop or rock or whatever, to raise your spirits. And I think that's what we've done. And I think Wendy and Jane are two absolutely marvellous ladies. I interviewed Jane over a year ago, talking about Mark, her nephew. And she struck me as a an incredible lady. He was going to make sure that Mark hadn't died in vain, that they can prolong his memory by doing something as wonderful as this. And we actually talked about, well, maybe we can get a a whole network of blue benches all over the country where people can link up and talk about issues they have in their lives. Because one of the most important things, when we talked, when Harry from Papyrus spoke at the end of the podcast I did with him, You've got to be able to laugh in your life. Whatever happens to you, you must be able to find laughter again because that's the most important thing. Laughter and talking and companionship. So, yeah, I think that's where we've got, isn't it? Just, uh, I mean, I I met uh, Wendy and Jane uh, for the first time and and I was just uh, astonished at the uh, bravery that that Wendy showed um, in telling her story about uh, and it's obviously it, it's still so painful for her that her son um, took his own life and um, and she doesn't know why and um, and yet she wants some as you say some positives to come from it and she's been supported and um, uh, by her sister Jane who's again another remarkable woman who's you know, gone out and, and said, we've got to do something. Uh, and I, I think I said uh, when I met them, if we can just prevent one person or one family from going down that awful, awful journey, then um, that's worth, well worth doing. And we must all kind of work harder at it. And um, so, you know, I, I hope that um, there will be um people that are more aware and you know if only uh, by by saying to somebody are you okay you know that's the beginning of that conversation you know you might not jump straight in and say you you know you're so low that you're thinking of doing something awful but you know are you okay because it's an open question and you know it gives it gives someone permission 
um, to, to kind of tell you how they're feeling. Um, and, you know, you do spot people from time to time um, that do seem low. And, you know, I think we're all very hesitant to get involved and poke our noses in when they're not wanted. But sometimes that little kind question um, could make a, a huge difference. So we shouldn't be afraid to, to ask it. And, um, and I hope more people will. Well, I think that's exactly right. So, Peter, thank you for coming to talk to me. I'm hoping that we will see as we go along by the blue bench, if we're passing by, if somebody's standing there, somebody will be kind enough to go and say to them, are you okay? And initiate a conversation. And if that can save one life, then job done, isn't it? My name is Jackie Carr. This series of podcasts is about two very special ladies, Wendy Walker and Jane Upson. Wendy Walker lost her son, Mark, to suicide. Mark is Jane's nephew. A series of podcasts is about them addressing their grief and making something very positive out of something that could be incredibly negative. The two of them together have networked, contacted groups, contacted people, and broadcast from the Blue Bench has been a journey for me as well. I've spoken to some wonderful people who have opened their hearts to me about the impact suicide has had on their lives directly or indirectly. And I can't thank them enough for their honesty and their kindness, but also for the wonderful things they bring to the podcast, which will enlighten other people into how to cope if they ever found themselves in a terrible situation of having to face a suicide in the family or have to talk to somebody to try and persuade them that suicide wasn't their only option. It's about people. It's about talking. It's about people addressing their own grief if they've lost a loved one to suicide, their own situation where they've been close to somebody who had considered taking their own lives, and people, professional people, who have assisted people in preventing them taking their own lives. Without Wendy and Jane, this series wouldn't have been possible. And I thank both of them for allowing me to come on their journey with them. And I thank all the people who have contributed to these podcasts. Finally, I'd also like to thank the amazing Neil Long, who's been our right-hand man throughout the series and can be found on the airwaves on weekday mornings at Radio Jackie and a frequent contributor to Men's Radio, which campaigns tirelessly for men's mental health. The conclusion that I've reached as a journalist, as a host to the podcast, is that if we can learn to talk about suicide, not put it under the carpet, address the issues, because talking is the most important issue. And as Wendy and Jane would say, if people talk, there is always, always hope.